all, and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Welcome, 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 everybody, uh, to another installment of Margin Call, political edition. We kind of tuned out, actually, for a while, to be honest, and by we, I mean me, and I don't think I'm alone here, um, because the Democratic nominating process took like four years. I think it was like the Democratic nominating process started like the day that Donald Trump was inaugurated and then just really spiraled out of control and caused a lot of people to lose hope. And it, it was dark. It was dark and difficult. And, and I don't think anybody got what they wanted. But here we are. Here we are, nonetheless. And there hasn't been much to talk about. Um, although, you know, we did have a show not too long ago, I think, discussing why Joe Biden was telling people that they weren't black. Um, so we did talk a little bit about Joe Biden, but <laughs> that was kind of isolated. Um, but there is big, big news uh, for the Democratic ticket. Everybody knows it. Uh, last week, Joe Biden selected his running mate, Kamala Harris, senator from California, former attorney general of California, former district attorney of San Francisco, and a person who, you know, for the San Franciscans among us, uh, we know pretty well. In fact, little little fun fact about Kamala Harris as it relates to Quest On, um, you know, we named our organization after one of our heroes, mentors, editors, Kevin Weston, uh, who sadly passed away in 2014, but brilliant guy who we love. That's why we named our organization after him. Uh, but his wedding was presided over by none other than Kamala Harris. So his wedding photos for one of two Harris. weddings. Uh, yeah, one of two. Thanks for the fact check, Eming. Definitely, sorry, sorry. definitely important and relevant. Trying to be helpful. <laughs> I'm just trying to be helpful. Apparently, unwanted. Um, it is. It's just a fun fact. You know, it's like uh, it's it's. We get very excited. We get to name drop now. Like, oh yeah, Kamala. Kamala's on the ticket. You remember Kamala from Kevin's wedding? You know, <laughs> like we get we get to say things like that now. It's very exciting for San Francisco people. No matter what their actual opinion is of Kamala, it's kind of like, you know, let's say you went to college with somebody who ended up being famous you know and like you didn't really like them when you, when you were in college with them but now that they're famous you're like oh actually you know we went to school together oh yeah we partied yeah cool guy so all san francisco people are now doing that about kamala and i can speak for all san francisco people all right don't at me i don't care who you are i'm speaking for you san francisco people Russell, um, at instagram yeah sure go ahead at me <laughs> is, is that my instagram handle yeah i don't even know my instagram handle <laughs> It's my name, so you think I'd remember it. Okay. Is this enough of an intro for our listeners? I think this is enough of an intro for our listeners. It's something. To the most exciting part of the show, which is the time when I get to introduce our guests. This is our political panel. These are two of my favorite people in the world, two of my favorite margin call guests. They're here together at last to discuss Kamala Harris and the fate of the Democratic ticket. Let me first introduce Amelia, who was on the show last month talking about her dad. We love you, Amelia. Welcome back. We always love having political conversations with you. And you're also a person with San Francisco ties. So that makes us happy as well. Um, and we can't have a political episode without Travis. We just can't do it. I refuse to do an episode where we talk about any Democrats in a disparaging way without having Travis Johnson here <laughs> because he does it so well. Welcome to the show, Travis and Amelia. Thanks Thank to you. both of you for being here. I couldn't think of two people I'd rather talk to about what is going on with the Democratic ticket. 
Um, so, by the I, way, just a quick side note: my adventure was getting a snack. Not the cookie. Oh, you yes. all follow Not me the cookie the that you yeah. talked no. about per- before yeah. the show. Oh. <laughs> no, these like really good grape snacks. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, Russell. Please. No, continue. no, it's it's a it's a very important thing to note. And for our listeners who don't get to see us, they're just hearing us. For the past few minutes, Amelia's been walking around her apartment with her holding her phone in front of her, looking like. A, a scene out of Blair Witch Project, <laughs> or a B- and like it took a long time. It was like very like Lord of the Rings esque. She was like on a journey. And I was like, he's on a quest. Uh-huh. I, I, also, food. I also got some water, okay. so I was oh, like, I hydrated. Some water right. with my snacks. Great, like, and, and I wanted to apartment. That's what so I was thinking. Healthy, I was like, so I thought she's either doing laps in the apartment or she lives in a mansion. Those are the only two <laughs> options for how long that trip took. And just so everybody knows, things resolved well because she came back. She has a glass of water and some Japanese candy, grape flavored. It looks yeah, they're really good. All right, the Japanese. They are those Korean or Japanese? Oh, those are Japanese. Japanese, yeah. Grape gummy so, candy. Yeah. And now that our listeners are up to speed. <laughs> On the snack Amelia brought to the show today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can turn to Travis and I want to start with you only because we've checked in so many times over the last 18 months throughout this nominating process. I mean, you and I had a conversation about Kamala Harris in the summer of 2018. You know, I mean, we've been having this conversation for a long time and even long before that summer when people were announcing their nominations in February and January, We've been through it together. You and I, I feel, have kind yeah. of a, tre- a trench warfare bond over this Democratic nominating process. And, um, you know, you were rightly disappointed at pretty much every turn. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame it you was, for that. The DN- it was very Game of Thrones. Like, it lasted a really long time. And everyone hated the ending. <laughs> wow. I didn't know if he didn't watch it. Wow. Um, was- it's like, oh, it's I had golden. Known- this is where we would have ended. I never would have started this journey. Right. Um, it's sort of how it felt. And then, like, I was... I'm someone who's, like, happy with this choice. Um, but I'm also, like... You're happy with the Kamala choice, you mean? I am. I'm happy. Okay. I do think it was the right choice for a bunch of different reasons. But I'm someone who thought that she should have been the nominee. Yeah. Yeah. As, um, I, as I recall, that was our conversation last summer when the field was wide open. Yeah. And everybody was falling in love with Mayor Pete. And, you know, well, this was even before. I don't know why. I'm here for the flashbacks, folks. If anybody ran for president, I you forgot, forgot about, about him. him. Yeah. I forgot need, about I, him. need I mention Andrew Yang? I mean, oh, there were, I there were a lot him. of people. Knows. I liked okay. him. I mean, here, I'm I'm the Pollyanna of the group because I'm going to be like, you know, I kind of liked Andrew Yang. And, you know, Mayor mm-hmm. Pete wasn't that bad, right? Like, so, of course. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I understand the problems, but I, I just, I... I have rose I have rose colored glasses. So but yes, the conversation we had last summer was like, why not just Kamala? Like, why are we because well, I mean, there was a little bit of an entertaining Warren because Warren was had a lot of great policy ideas more like the problem with Kamala was like, well, she's great. Everything about her is great credentials check, you know, like just, you know, brilliant speaker, brilliant attorney did a lot of good things as um, uh as the attorney, state attorney in California, like whatever, yeah, good, good resume. Not without she her controversies. She right? didn't so have, like, yeah. 
She didn't have policy stuff. A- All of that is just to say she didn't have like policies to put out front. And Elizabeth Warren was like, oh, we got a problem. Okay, I got a plan for that. You got a problem. Yes. I got a plan for that, which is why I started to kind of gravitate towards Warren. So I was kind of trapped yeah. between Warren Only and to end up with the nominee with no plan. Yeah, we got. Uh, have you plan. seen his recent commercials? I, no. I, I have not. I, please, please enlighten us, Amelia. Oh <laughs> my God! It is the most my terrifying experience. Is I have to vote for him, so I don't need to know anything else. Like you I'm do not. Just like walking around like this now, Travis. <laughs> he literally is like, "Hello, I'm asking you, please. Wow, if you add your name." And I'm like, oh my god, so flat. <laughs> it's so it's so flat, but it's like almost like as he's saying it, he's not sure what the next word is, or he forgot. Mm. Like it's like really, it's really bad. I mean, has anybody if- made the the weekend at Bernie's joke yet about Joe Joe Biden, where he's just like a like he died, and we're like, oh shit, somebody got to pretend like he's still alive, prop him up, walk him prop around, prop him up. Put you some sunglasses on him. That's basically what it is, though. Like, Thank God like, for COVID, we could put a mask on. We don't have to see those big shiny veneers all the time. I'm really nervous about the debates. Yeah, that's the only time I've ever said "Thank God for COVID." By the You're way, you're nervous about <laughs> Biden and Trump debating. Um, I'm nervous about Biden. Like, um, I feel like they're both just disasters. They so are I just exactly. Sort of, like, feel like. I think it'll offset. I think they'll yeah, just like, be so bad that be... people will, will say like, what was that? Yeah. Um, imagine it's on Zoom though and they're like low-key like cutting each other off. Yeah, that's exactly oh, what yeah. it's going to be like. No, I think they're going to be on stage 20 feet apart. That's what I think. And they're going to have like, Yelling monitors. at each other, Sleepy yeah. Joe, China yeah. Joe. Yeah. You're in it. Like it's just going to be Guys, you're bringing me down. You're bringing me down. Can we talk about the good news last week? The good news is that, and let's just present this in a very straightforward way. Joe Biden chose a running mate who is relatively young, who is very, very smart, who is a woman, who is a person of color, and who, during the time that we were trying to decide who should be president, we kind of thought maybe she could be president. So that there's something there. There's There's some good news there. Um, and I, I, I did want to start, like I said, I started with you, Travis, only because this nomination process has been a series of disappointments. Is, is this in any way, like a little bit of a bump for you? Just like a little, just taking a little Xanax, just where you say, oh, this is, you know what I mean? At the end of a terrible trial. Um, it certainly lubricates the fucking that is coming (laughs) our way. That's a cool quote. <laughs> Kamala for lube. <laughs> certainly like some, some spit happened. Um, wow. That is, that is, wow. I, know, I, I really am the part. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm landing this plane. But <laughs> I feel like there's a way in which it didn't feel like an enthusiastic choice. Like the way that he just like waited so long to like yeah. let us know who he was choosing. Yeah. And the way the media spin happened, it felt like Oh, if I have to choose Kamala, like all this sort of like, it just, for me, yeah, I'm like, fine. Like, let's, I'm ready to vote tomorrow. I'm glad that she's there because then a grown up will be in the room. Um, but I still sort of feel like someone with her credentials, if she were in any other body, would be our nominee. Yeah. Like, if you had like a white man who was a DA attorney general, even with her, like, even with like the criticisms we had of her, it would have been like her and more like it would not, we would not be talking about Biden. So like, I'm just sort of like, great, great, great. Yeah. 
That's um, a good point. That's a really good point. It is in some ways, even though, you know, the VP pick is huge, right? Like, I understand deal. this as, as her making him electable. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's such, that's such heavy lifting to do from that position and such an unfair ask, but it's like so typical of like our country, like this, like, well, get, a, get a black Asian woman to like, do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do this yeah we're in trouble. Yeah. It does feel that way. Go, go ahead, Amelia. I was just going to say, like, do you think she has the pull, though? Like, across the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's say this. I, I don't really have any confidence. Here's my official answer. In, I'm nervous about the election in general. I mean, I'm nervous I that Joe Biden's even going to get elected. Yeah, we got to take, take this one step at a time. This week oh, on you. Margin Call, we discuss Kamala Harris being the vice president. And, you know, Halloween, if you want to talk about what's going to happen on election day. It's not day, that far away, Russell. Yeah, it's like five minutes. It's, it's like, so close. We're in August. I'm nervous. I'm definitely very you nervous. You know what month it is? <laughs> Yeah, but think about the news cycle. Think about how quickly things change. Do you know what I mean? Like there was no way, like, like, let's say there was a day when George Floyd was alive and then the next day he was not and the world changed forever. We don't know how many events like that are going to happen between now and November. That's true. So, and I'm not a person who is anxiety prone and jumps ahead and says, you know, makes projections about something I have no idea about. You know, I really just want to sit with the moment. I'm not trying to tell you guys to do this too, but I just think like, we have to take this one step at a time. And to answer yeah. your question, Amelia, I have almost no confidence in Joe Biden's ability to be a competent candidate for president. That is my answer. Yeah. I have full confidence in Kamala Harris's ability to be a competent um, running mate. Definitely. Running mate. Right. And so with that, I just I have to be happy because up until now, I've just been looking at Joe in his basement with his Mortal Kombat mask on, you know. And I don't feel good about that, <laughs> you know, but but yeah. I watched I watched Kamala's speech. It's the first thing I've watched live on like a cable news channel since I don't know when, because I don't watch things live on cable news channels anymore because it's it's just sad. It's never you know what I mean? Like, I mean, maybe I watch Cuomo, you know, when everybody in New York was dying of COVID. But this was a nice moment. I was like, hey, here's Kamala. You know, like it wasn't groundbreaking. It wasn't life changing. It wasn't like watching Obama get his nomination, but it was like, Hey, look, there's like a smart person on stage who can put a sentence together and give a good speech. You know what I mean? Like she looks great. She looks confident. She sounds great. Like I have a reason at least to be a little bit excited. And I have basically not paid any attention to the fact that we have a presidential election going on since Biden got the nomination. I'm just being real. Because after the nominations and obviously lots of media about her sort of like started coming out including like reposting things that like when she was running for president. And um, that was really great because it reminded me of like all the things that you just said about how smart she is, about her history. But one thing that sort of came across to me and the things that I've been watching over the last week is I forgot how personable she is and how there's a way in which I felt like in some ways she and Warren ran the most compelling campaigns for me because they were very people-based. Like you saw them going out talking to people, often people who disagreed with them and having real conversations in a way that I didn't see any other candidate doing. Like it wasn't just going to rallies for people who were like, yes, we love Kamala. It was like people really challenging her and she's really good in that moment. And someone who can say, I've changed, I've, de- I've evolved on that issue. I'm yeah. sort of thinking about like marijuana, for example, like she's like, I just think we need to legalize it nationwide. And that's something, you know, so I am falling sort of like in this hopeful place of where you are, where I think that more so than any other 
campaign, I get this as like a ticket. Like I wasn't really thinking about Obama Biden. I was thinking Obama, right? Um, this I'm like, it is, it is, it is Biden Harris. Like it's the ticket. She is making yeah. him electable. Yeah, I mean Biden. Biden on the Obama ticket was really just like we need somebody to pick up the cracker crumbs. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And and he's the person to do it, and it worked. You know. And this is a different thing because nobody is in charge at the Biden campaign. And now it feels like somebody kind of is. And that, right. you know, is comforting for me. She, I agree. She should be the nominee. Like if uh, there's anyone who's like, you can't tell black people they're not black. It's going to be her. Don't say that. Joe. <laughs> yeah. Right. You got to outsource stuff like that, Joe. Don't say that, Joe. <laughs> and you know what? While we're talking about it, she probably shouldn't say that either. Basically, nobody should tell anybody that they're Please not don't. who they are. Just especially not a black person. Um, okay. So, uh, Amelia, I wanted to come to you on a very specific issue just because much of the criticism when Kamala was running as president was the fact that she was a district attorney, right? She locked a lot of people up. She was a top cop and she was very proud of that record and she put it out front. Um, and people who are in the world of criminal justice reform and people who are serious about, you know, uh, undoing mass incarceration and people who are serious about the way that the criminal justice system adversely affects black people and people of color. And, um, you know, really said like this, she, that for that reason, she's not the person for this job. Like I can't support Kamala. And this was a lot of progressive people and a lot of progressive people are still saying this. So I'm asking you, Amelia, as a person who has done a lot of criminal justice advocacy work and has your own personal life has been affected by the criminal justice system and your family, is that like, does that give you any pause? Like, what are your thoughts on Kamala as a, a VP pick in that context? Yeah, I mean, in that context, I'm not like a super fan just because of like what she has signed on to. I mean, both of them are huge reasons why we have the system that we have today, for sure. Um, at the same time, I mean, I think like, uh, I don't know, all of these things, I don't know. To me, it like really doesn't matter at this point. It's like, I'm just going to vote for them. And I, I you know, I, I'm, it's interesting, like on my social media feed, I see a lot of my friends because, okay, sorry, separate thing really fast, but I was listening to a podcast recently, or maybe we had this conversation. I don't really remember, but it was about the swing voters and the swing voters now are not who they were before. The swing voters now are people my age. It's like 22 to 25 or 30. Those are your swing voters. Those are the people you need to convince. Those are like the, yeah, the liberal, progressive, whatever, the Bernie people or like, you know, like the people who are like, no, I'm a hard no if you signed on to this policy or if you supported this effort or if you, you know, I, you're a no because you, you know, basically I can't trust your, that you just now had an epiphany, you know, and you're going to change your mind. And so that's the group of people that I think people now need to convince. Like I, and, but at the same time, you know, they're also the worst in voting millennials, which is the similar situation. You know, they yeah. feel like I can't, I can't sign on to something that I'm not fully invested in, but I don't think that's a, that's a valid <laughs> Right now, that is not a valid reason. Yeah. And um and and I and it's actually to me whatever, don't come for me if anyone listens to this, but to me it's a little bit of arrogance. 
like you're kind of only thinking about yourself in that moment and what you think and what you feel like, like this is not like, I saw a tweet that was like, voting is you don't have to marry the person. Like it's not about marrying them. (laughs) You know, you're not, you don't have to be like, you're my number one hero, save me. But we have to really think about like the next four years and we cannot do another four years with Trump period. So we're going to vote whoever was the person. And I mean, I'm actually, regardless of all the things, I'm extremely appreciative that he picked Kamala Harris. I think she's a fierce debater because she's a prosecutor and she's trained and she's trained for moments like these. She's trained to convince people. It's very performative being a prosecutor. So she has the training to execute. And so I don't, you know, I feel definitely much more confident. Um, But yeah, in terms of like her, her policies and things like that, it's like, eh. but at the same time, uh, I'm not marrying the person, you know, I'm just, and I, and I also think I saw another, I saw another like meme or whatever that was like, don't be so woke that you like spend time bashing a black woman. And I really liked that because I was like, you know what? That's a great fucking point. Yeah. And anyone we elect at this point is going to have some type of record. So does Elizabeth Warren. I mean, you know, everyone has their past, everyone, Mm -hmm. whatever. But I just, those are my thoughts. But my conclusion is that it does not matter. And I'm definitely, you know, going to vote for both of them. And, um, and yeah, just like vote Trump out. I mean, it's not even like, to me, it's not like, who, what are you, what are you questioning? Like, what do you need to review? Why do we even need debates? We all just experienced the last four years. Just allow us to go to the polls. Like, we really don't need to see you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like we could all, we have all, if you haven't made up your mind yet, I don't what know what for? will help you. What, what yeah. do you mean? I'm yeah. done with the undecided voter. I've been done with undecided voters for a long time. I mean, as, as you guys know, I, Cause I that's a decision. In- You're making a decision. Yes. There are two yeah. options. There's not like a no option. There are two yeah. options here. There is a no option. There is a no, there's a no vote option. And that, that's the point I was going to make. Yeah. A no vote is a vote for Trump because Democrats are much more reliant on voter turnout than Republicans are. And that's always been the truth. And that's what happened to Hillary. And I, you know, I, I like your take here, which is just very pragmatic. It's just like, yeah, okay, fine. We can pick this apart, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Like you're not alone. I would say maybe even the majority of Democratic voters are, would just say, like, it doesn't matter whose name is in that box. Like, it's we not get rid of Trump. And I think it, on that level of analysis, yeah, maybe there is nothing more to say about Kamala Harris, except that, yeah, she's the person who's the vice president to the person who needs to be president. So the Trump is a president. And that's all right. we need to know. You know what I mean? There's like person X is. Because is I sort of feel like this, like, um. I can't vote for someone unless I completely agree with them on everything. Um, Sort of makes it seem as if your job as a citizen ends at voting. And it's like, no, you make the choice and then you stay engaged and you stay on top of the person to hold them. Yeah, You hold the person you voted for accountable. And then like see you in four years. Like you have to like stay in. Because Wall Street doesn't do that. You know what I mean? Like Wall Street is just like, okay, yeah, we're going to give you our money to be president. And then now do what we want. And then your first day in office, they're like, oh, hey, what's up? So remember, we put you in office. Like, what do you got for us? You know, 
that that is a very very important point travis and a very nice way to say it i yeah. think that a lot of us got kind of some training in this four years ago when it was hillary you know i personally did not really like hillary as a candidate but i also thought it doesn't matter like who cares what i think about hillary Clinton? and i went to the polling place and i waited in line for two years two hours and i held my nose and I pulled the lever for Hillary and I thought that was the end of it. And it was not. And you know right. why? Because lots of other people were like, I don't like Hillary. So they just didn't go, right. you know? Right. And I swear to God, if we as like, you know, whatever. So many people, I don't like Hillary. They're the same thing. I'm voting Green yeah. Party. Nah, man, we can't we can't have any of that noise. We, we really got to stay on message here. And I think that's a good reframing. And maybe I mean, I am kind of a classic overthinker. You know, I always want to kind of like, you know, Stanley Kubrick, this like every possible angle, you know. Um, and I do think that ideology matters and, and at least is worth talking about. And I think there are plenty of people that Biden could have chosen that it would have been hard for me. You know, it would have been much harder to think about what does this mean? and What is this person's record? And I don't have that feeling as a response to Kamala. It's like there was never any question about whether I was going to vote and whether I was going to vote for whoever it was that wasn't Trump. Like that was never a question for me. That hasn't been a question for me since whatever, November 8th, 2016, you know? Um, But it is still important to think about like who our leaders are. And if we make another mistake, how do we correct that mistake? How do we avoid making the Hillary mistake? The Hillary mistake was, oh, black people are going to vote for me. So I don't have to say anything to them. You know, young people are going to vote for me, so I don't have to say anything. I'm good. You know, I'm I'm not even going to campaign. She's like, like, no one knows who my VP is and that's okay. Yeah. Wisconsin's going to vote for me, so I don't need to talk to him. So she she made a huge, you know, huge, huge error. Right. I'm going to bring out Bill Clinton to try to inspire people to vote for me. What? I mean, you know, Bill Bill gets some people fired up. He gets some old, you know, like the real, real old school Democrats. But I saw this great. That would have been fine if he had only, if they'd only trotted him out for those groups. But like, they like just had him all out in public. He was and around like, a little too being, much. He's I'll being give challenged you that. by Black Lives Matter and he's yeah. just like being awful. And yeah. that did not help her. Yeah. It was a misread. Yeah. There was lots of misreadings of the moment going on for her yeah. in a way that she could not afford to do. Right. And just real, real, real fast, just to go back to what you said, Travis, about keeping people accountable post your vote and how that that makes such a difference. And I think there is a tendency to think, oh, well, if I vote for this, they'll solve the issues. Right. And I I think that's like a very like savior kind of idea, which is like, no, like they're not going to save us. Yeah. You know, like a historical to expect politicians to always be the same like the obama we ended with was not the obama we voted for he was against gay marriage can i can i just put that out there yes he was against gay marriage very openly against gay marriage when he ran for president yeah like he had to be pushed and so for me that my analysis was of these candidates who is most likely to be pushed for as a world that includes me right yeah Yeah, people change not trump and I, no. <laughs> it's not, I don't want to, I mean, this will be my last Hillary reference. I'm, I'm only talking about it because, you know, that was our last election. That was the last democratic candidate. It's the most, I didn't even, that feels like ages event. ago. It was, it was uh, actually was 37, times. 37 yeah. years ago, actually, exactly. 37 <laughs> years ago when Hillary Clinton lost. Um, but you know, there are just many lessons to be drawn there about like certain missteps. Right. And, 
I think there's a difference between someone who genuinely evolves on issues, as you said, which I think Obama probably did genuinely evolve on an issue, and people who are just kind of calculated. And I think a big part of the reason people don't like Hillary is because Hillary was just like, what are the polling numbers on this issue? You know what I mean? Like, what, what do I have to say to get black people to vote for me? Like, it did not feel like a person who had like a personal ideology or like any integrity who changed on issues and said like, you know what? I was wrong about that. And I feel differently now. It was just somebody who was like, Oh yeah. In the nineties, it was really popular to call like black teenagers, super predators. So I did it. And I'm sorry about that. And now that that's not so popular anymore, I'm going to stop doing that. So get over it kind of, which is very different from Kamala having, you know, evolved views on the criminal justice system and how it should work and how it affects black people. And, you know, it's like who, who better to evolve on their views of the criminal justice system than a former district attorney who right. saw the system and knows why it doesn't work and why it ruins lives, you know? So again, I promised I wasn't going to do a bunch of rah, rah Kamala stuff, but that's a little bit of it. This is now turning into the like Hillary was whack. Kamala is, you know, is Jesus show. This is so, now turning <laughs> into like a, we will convince you to vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just vote. Just vote. There's really nothing else to say about it. I mean, the, I think one of the, best points you made amelia was about who the swing voters are now and the idea that swing voters are not really swing voters they're just people who are deciding whether to vote for biden or whether or not to vote you know what i mean like yeah, which is right. a crazy position to be in and part of it is you know i don't like to um talk bad about anybody but i really don't like to talk bad about young people because when i was young everybody talked bad about me but there is like a certain culture that i have observed among you know, young, I'd say people in their 20s who are politically engaged people where uh, there is just no room for error. Do you know what I mean? Like you just can't ever in part of it is cancel culture, right? These are like young Mm -hmm. people who grew up on Twitter where it was like, Ooh, let me find out what a mistake this person made so I can ruin their lives forever. And they're kind of taking like a, many young people are taking a like Twitter attack approach to whatever political candidate we have. And I don't, think even though i appreciate their vigilance you know what i mean like i like the fact that young people are like let me find out what this person's all about and like you know that takes a lot of like engagement that i appreciate i just um part of i and i don't know how to say this without sounding like an old person but like compromise is an important part of life man you know what i'm saying like it's well, true it's a vigilance true that dating, doesn't respect humanity voting. like it's a vigilance yeah. it's like a it's a it's a vigilance that like no person doesn't have blind spots or bias or or messes up right and um i'm not someone who really believes in cancel like i don't necessarily know that i believe that cancel culture is a thing that who really gets canceled but it's sort of like if the point is accountability then there's that doesn't seem to happen it just sort of seems like a performance of shaming and not producing actually a changed behavior so it's it's not because I'm old. It's because I don't even see it as effective or like, how can you be a person in a world where you cannot make mistakes or um, like, I just, for myself, I don't cancel people, right? Like I'm like, my heart is not built that way. Um, I can set the fuck out of some new boundaries. I can decide where I want to put my money or not. I can just, you know, but I believe people change. I believe people mess I could not have worked with juveniles for the amount of time that I've worked with them and be out here canceling people. I'm like, what are you talking? What do you think that happens to people? Yeah. Right? If you don't believe in the possibility of change with information or engagement, right? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, As a, totally. from, from, from someone who's in two communities that have been effectively canceled at different times of this of this country's history, I can't imagine operating that way in the world and expecting that to be empowerment. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Amelia. No, I was just going to say the point you made about like uh, the humane aspect of it. You know, it's completely missing, and I, I think that um, like I went to a college that was very like social justice and you know all this shit but in reality it was the most toxic environment i have ever been in in my entire life and like i the intellect was sure it was there but like the compassion the empathy was like non-existent it was just you said something wrong or you made a mistake and you were ostracized like immediately and it it was like and, and I, you know, everyone was like, oh, it's such a toxic environment. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah. No, because we treat each other like shit. It's not yeah. like some, like, outer being came into this environment and made us all feel and a certain type of way. Yeah, like, it's the way we treat each other. Like, and, it, and I remember thinking, like, wow, I've never met so many smart, dumb people in my life. <laughs> like, some of the smartest, dumbest people... And then, and then really, and then I was like, okay, did everyone forget that we are at a liberal arts school in Ohio and we're, and we're people where you're studying things like, you know, just, yeah, a lot of the, <laughs> the names of classes were amazing, but you know, like I just, yeah, just, I feel that like arrogance that like, yeah, it's really arrogance. And, and it also doesn't allow you to change. Right. So then mm-hmm. you're just watching your back. Like, well, who's right. going to cancel me? So I better just cancel everyone so that no one comes through me. And it's always this. So it's like so fear. Or just don't say anything. So I don't risk getting canceled. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just like, risk. watch, what does everyone else do? How are yeah. they responding? Having lots of these conversations at my job. And one of the points that someone said in one of our meetings was, because we talk about like, how do you let someone know that they've said something insensitive or offensive or biased or whatever. Um, and Someone said, correct like you would want to be corrected, right? Because we're all, because we are all going to need to be corrected at some point. And so right. assume, uh, if you were in that situation, how would you want this brought to your attention? How would mm. you, like, what would the conversation sort of be like? Be, and also so be compassionate. Teachable. Also be teachable because everyone's going to need to be taught. And so it doesn't always have to be such vicious particularly when you get that like a harm wasn't intended. Like, I don't know why it always has to be this like vicious. You are out of the community. You are in the cold because it doesn't allow for any redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or transformation. I, yeah. I mean, as, as we've detailed, I think Obama is a great example. He's somebody who like, you know, a lot of people really like him, right? He's his, his street cred is very high, right? Yes. But he is someone who, who ran on a platform that included saying that he didn't believe in gay marriage, right? So if he hadn't been elected president, or even if he had, what if somebody went back and was like, look, he tweeted in 2007 that he thought marriage was between a man and a woman. Obama's canceled, (laughs) you know, like that's outrageous. And I, you know, I mean, you guys said it very eloquently, so I won't restate it. I'll only say that I may have framed the question a little wrong by because cancel culture is such a loaded concept anyway that we could just talk about for days, right? And I think what's happening among young voters with someone like Kamala or other people is like a little different because they're not trying to cancel Kamala. 
you know, they're just saying like, this person doesn't meet my standards, which it's good to have very high standards. And I think, uh, as you said, Amelia, a lot of the people who are disappointed by this ticket are people who did get fired up about somebody like Bernie, for instance, right? Where, you know, young people are very serious about like, yo, like, let's figure out how socialism or aspects of socialism could work to help uh, eradicate or alleviate income inequality in this country. That's great. The fact that people in their 20s are like, let's look at a new model that can address Mm -hmm. the, you know, I arguably and I know this is a really loaded statement, like arguably, if you look at all the like tentacles of this issue, biggest social issue in our country, which is income inequality. Right. Like because that includes racism, that includes sexism, that includes you know so many other social issues that we talk about all the time, including the criminal justice system, because if we didn't have income inequality, we wouldn't have a goddamn mass incarceration. You know, the fact that young people have keyed in on that as a social issue that they'd like to address in a country where we haven't really had any kind of like any socialist instincts since you know, FDR, really, um, that's a big deal. And I understand people who are like, hey, now's our time. Bernie's our guy. And now Bernie's not our guy. And, you know, as just like Amelia, I like to get my news from memes. And one of my favorite memes this week was, um, uh, you know, when, you know, that format where they say what I ordered, what I got. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So the, the first photo was what I ordered. And it was a picture of Bernie Sanders and uh, AOC, like waving together. And then the second picture, what I got was Joe and Kamala. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I share that sentiment. You know what I mean? Like, I agree. I would be much happier right now if there was like really an agent of change, not just an alternative to Trump, but a person who really wanted to restructure what this country looked like in a way that eradicated income inequality, in a way that addressed climate concerns, you know, like a real new deal for this country. I would be much, much more excited than I am right now. But that's gone, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I have to I have to accept yeah, that reality. Gone. Maybe that happens in four years. Maybe that, you know, eight years yeah, from now, I also can sort I vote of for AOC? Like, I also sort of feel like, and maybe this is because I'm a middle-aged Black man from the South. I'm 2,000 years old. <laughs> but I also feel like if you, like a Bernie AOC is such a radical change it's such a radical change right then i'm like maybe we don't expect that to happen in one election maybe we don't expect that to happen overnight maybe we sort of and don't lose sight of all of the sort of like progressive congress people who've like been sweeping and winning right and so like there's don't be disappointed don't like and that's not losing it's sort of like there's there's all all levels because it can't just be like a progressive president. You need people in Congress to like help enact that. And that is happening. That movement is happening. And so, yes, be disappointed. Um, but again, one of these two people is going to be president. <laughs> <laughs> that is the reality. One of these, you're not voting, isn't going to like make it not happen. One yeah. of right. these two people is going to be president. And if you... Sure, what you ordered and what you got, but what you're going to have if you don't vote is worse than what you got. Yeah, Yeah. well, here's the deal. You actually will not have. You will not. You will have less. There will You will have have fire NATOs. Fire NATOs is what The delivery person would have never arrived. Right. Okay. Sir, I regret to inform you what you ordered is not on the menu. So pick something on the menu. We got two choices. 
a, a you're not delivering because we don't have a post office, so you ain't getting shit. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to my next point. I already said I don't want to jump ahead to November and I don't want to stoke any fears or, you know what I mean, like kind of take our eyes off the prize here or whatever. But it is, uh, I think, safe to say, very distressing what's going on with the president and the post office. I Yo. mean, like, it, he's planning to lose. We're in, has anyone watched The Handmaid's Tale? I feel like we're in the flashback. <laughs> yeah, I know, the I flashback. have, I have. We are, in, we're in, we are in the scenes where people are like, this is bad, right? We should probably we should do something about this. Maybe we shouldn't be here anymore. But now we can't leave because we're like no one will take us, and so we're we missed our opportunity to leave. There's yeah. no going to Canada now. But yeah, like the po- he's like post office out. I don't want you mailing in shit. I'm gonna mail in my ballot. Fuck the rest of you. None of you get to vote by mail. Turn it off. Like turn it off. I did. You know, I read that today that the president and his wife are gonna mail theirs in. Yeah, yeah, Florida. They're like Outrageous. the one state that we vote yeah. in. Y'all can mail in. Yeah, the rest of y'all. What I would like to see is, I know that it's very hard to maintain like the level of political intensity that we experienced during, like after George Floyd's death and Black Lives Matter marches. Like, there's no, in no real world could that be sustained, right? We have to transition that energy into whatever local organizing or whatever that works. You can't protest every day because people have jobs and kids, right? But I would like to see some like you know, fund the post office marches. Like, that'd be cool. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how many Americans does it take to be in the street with signs that say, pay the post office until the government pays the post office? Isn't that what democracy looks like? Right. You know, and if you just choose the right issue, and this is why Twitter exists, just be like, hey, guys, I got an idea. Everybody dress up like a postal worker, go out in the street and carry a sign. You know what I mean? Like, we have enough mobilization efforts. So if you identify that issue, Give them their money, man. Those guys, you know what I mean? That's a tough job. They don't really get a lot of respect. And now they're really not so getting bizarre. it. It's such a bizarre. Why would you and take them because on? Because our media has been. There's a way in which like we've normalized this crazy that like we're like, wh- how much more outraged can I be? It's and true. it's almost like or I keep doing this. Like when I see like a headline that's like Trump admits that he's defunding the post office because he doesn't want mail-in ballots. So it was like, there's no way that he said that. You are like <laughs> connecting dots and that's not true. Yeah. Raw story or like whatever blog is like running this because it's like not like a deep dive in the New York Times. It's not like a deep dive in the Washington Post. It's sort of like Twitter and like independent blogs that are saying this, right? How many like deep dives does the New York Times give us about Hillary's emails? This, it's like chirps. Like, yeah. I'm like, wait. Yeah. What? What is I agree. Happening? It's hard to keep up, man. I mean, I think that's part of his strategy. It's just I was so joking. much crazy shit that you can't focus on one long enough to do anything about it. I was right. joking when Trump was elected and I was like, it's like having a irresponsible parent running the country where like every month you're like, are we going to have lights? <laughs> <laughs> is America going to have lights this yeah. month? I don't know. That's true. The grownups are like paying the light bill. And I'm like, we're not going to have mail. We're not going to have mail, y'all. Surprise! He's also abusive. (laughs) Yeah. We're not, it's just going to be police. Did you, did you guys ever see there was a documentary called um, Fast Cheap and Out of Control it came out a long time ago like 20 years ago it's very interesting it's just a, a documentary filmmaker chose three people with weird jobs one of them was a person who was like a topiary gardener you know they mm-hmm. made like 
animals out of bushes, basically. There's more artistry to it than that, but like, you know, the Edward Scissorhands thing. Yeah, I was about uh, to say. And then, yeah, well, and then one of them was um, uh, a, a person who designed robots to go to space, right? And it was like, oh, okay, what kind of robots should we have if we're going to send something to Mars? You know, and that was his job. And there were two competing strategies for what kind of robots we needed on Mars. One of them was we have to build the best robot. We have to have one robot that is just indestructible. It's like a Hummer with, you know, 10 um, iPads in it, you know, and can't be defeated, whatever. You know what I mean? Like this, this has to be the one machine. And the guy that they profiled was like, no, 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 no. You build like 10,000 tiny robots so that if anything happens to the robot, it doesn't matter. They just keep coming. Right. And I think that that is the fast, cheap and out of control is the perfect metaphor for this president's administration, because it's like instead of just one dinosaur, that's like, man, this guy's a moron. We got to take him down. There's just 10,000 little tiny evil robots everywhere. And you can't you know, it's like when you go to the you go to Florida and it's just like mosquitoes everywhere. You're just like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. Oh, you can't. You just have to go inside. You know what I mean? Like that's that's where we are with Trump now, where it's like you're not going to be able to get every mosquito. Probably you're so distracted by the swarm that you won't even be able to get one, uh, which is why, like I said, I haven't watched anything live on CNN in a long time. But I did do this when Kamala gave her acceptance speech. I was uh, I watched I chose CNN because I was like, I don't know, man, like MSNBC is basically just Fox News for Democrats now. Like, I, I don't really trust those guys that much anymore either. You know, um, even if I agree more with them, I still feel like this is just biased journalism. Uh, not that I love CNN, but I thought, I don't know. Are they at least pretending to be middle of the road? I haven't watched CNN in so long. So I watched it on CNN and their commentators were whatever, you know, as you would expect. Oh, this was a fine speech, you know. And I was like, I wonder what Fox News is saying about this. So I went to Fox News. They weren't talking about anything about Kamala. It was a it was a press conference with the president. First of all, I don't know the last time you guys saw this guy on TV. He looks terrible, man. He, I mean, he's always been pretty gross looking. Right, it's about low bar, low bar. Yeah. But low he's bar. like not doing great. But he was not like, doing great. He's not I, even I, trying. The makeup. Yeah. I was like, whoever does your makeup hates you. Yeah, yeah. He not even like, trying anymore. They're just like whatever, dude. It's a different shade, like whatever. I think he's using a different shade of spray tan because oh, it was just man. like kind of more like brown orange was now. Blotchy. Blot, and you could tell like where it stopped at his neck. You know what I mean? You could see the actual yeah. white part of his neck, and then you know we always get to see the white. And because we're social distancing, you know? he's often outside doing these interviews, mm-hmm. so it's like yep. you can't control the temperature. Yeah, so he was sweating, sweating, and he was and and just talking in a way that made Joe Biden look good because he was like, uh, as you could see, uh, you know, breathing deep into the microphone. Uh, who made this chart, Tony? Tony, who made this chart about the the jobs? Where's the chart? Uh, We're doing a great job. We're doing a wonderful job. Hey, SNL, hire Russell to play Trump. Thank you. Yeah, that's my Trump impression. Only based on that press conference that I saw. But I was like, Jesus. And it was like a double bump for me because I just watched Kamala on stage. Like, yeah, what's up? We're taking Trump down. I'm from Oakland. I'm I'm all about the cause. Like, you know what I mean? Let's do this. I was like, oh, great. I'm fired up about Kamala. I got that little high. And I was like, oh, what's on Fox News? And was like, this heavy breathing, blotchy, disgusting animal who, you know, has never been cute. But... This is a new low for him. Yeah. It, oh, that's great. Uh, he's not camera ready. I'll put it that way. You know? No, he is hey. not long for this world. <laughs> I hope he falls very far further. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to keep but... coming back to this because sometimes 
when I do like just what you said, where like I'll watch like a Kamala and then I'm like, this is the world in which like this person is going to be like Kamala versus Donald. And what world are they in the same stratosphere? So we're like yeah. even considering. Oh, it's it's a uh, racist world. That's the world you're referring to is racist, a racist, sexist. sexist world. So yeah. <laughs> to give it a name, we could call it like, America. Oh, or, you know, yeah, it's, it's really dark. My takeaway was just like it, and again, maybe I'm, you know, being delusional, but I was like, you know what? I feel good about this. I feel good about this right now in this moment That's today. Good. Watching Kamala and going over to you know this man, I feel good today for right now. Um, you know, that's that's where I'll leave that comment because I don't want to let my optimism get me into trouble as it did four years ago. I went to sleep. I didn't even wait for them to count the votes. Thoughts. Harris Pence debate. Mm-hmm. I can't oh, wait for that. I can't uh, that, wait for I'm that. Like, I can't let's wait. Go. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> Get Here's the, the Harris Pence debate. I don't Here's even know if he talks. Does he talks just not? I do not like good things. Pence for a lot of reasons. Uh, I don't have There's to no reason to like Pence. He's There's like the like anti. Like, like um, if I knew who the Antichrist was, I think it's him. <laughs> and nothing, you know, nothing that's ever happened to him I ever felt bad about, you know, because I kind of felt like you brought this on yourself. But hearing, thinking about that debate, I almost kind of feel a little bad for him because he's going to get flamed so hard. If we're In talking about humanity, he deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves In ways he can't. I don't feel bad. bad. I feel like I'm not the last my last foray into Fox News was and it was only a few seconds was him speaking about he cannot pronounce Kamala Harris. He cannot cannot pronounce it. Um but he was talking about how like afraid he can't say it, he can't say her name. But he was talking about how like she wants to like she wants to take your red meat away. And I was like, I can promise you that whatever she said about the Meatpacking industry. It wasn't. I'm gonna take your meat away from I'm you. I'm gonna take your meat. I promise well, you, you know, that is not part of. We have platform. to resort. Like you know, the the Trump supporters. You know, their their base is like you know. You have to go. You have to use caveman arguments, right? You have to go back. And what do cavemen care about? Well, I, I gotta have meat. He's gonna meat. take your meat away. You must have meat. So you know, you gotta have Pence go on, and he'll do his caveman voice and say, "You hear yourself, Camela? Camela, take meat, bad. Camela, bad. Take meat. You want meat? She take meat." And Trump people are like, "Oh, great. Okay, cool. Great. Then, uh, we hate that. We hate not yeah. having meat. I hate when people take I just my meat away." I were vice president of the United States, and I was talking about someone taking meat. Like we were in World War II era <laughs> and we're issuing people. I was, I was like, what? Yeah. I have to think about my life choices. What's going on? There's nothing else I can talk about. Yeah, I, I'm glad I didn't catch that because it might have been a little too much for me to handle. It might have taken me He's not a down. great speaker. So it was but, like already a hard sell and he was not landing he's it. He's terrible. Well, it he's just terrible. Yeah. It just reminds me, you know, when I get those highs, right? When I watch Kamala and then switch over to the president and say, like, hey, this is going great. I forget, of course, how many people in this country who vote who are not people who care whether someone is smart or are yeah. even or are even able to determine whether someone is smart or not. I'm trying to say this as nice as possible. Do you guys yeah. understand what I'm saying? I okay. do. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't want to say I think there's a way in which okay. we the appeal. Like I have law, I have become mindful of like for a long time, I couldn't get the draw of a Trump. I couldn't get, particularly if you were like a working class 
poor white person. I'm like, I do not understand how this is where you are aligning yourself because um, there's nothing for you here. And then I realize it's not what they're doing for you. You're, and I don't like at me, whatever, but like what you're loving, when people say, I love what Trump is doing for this country, they literally mean, I love the harm he is causing other people. Yeah. So like, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be, it's just like, you hate the right people. You're going to get rid of those people. Great. I'm voting for you for that. I don't care what else you do to my healthcare, my job, my yeah. whatever. Um, just point in the direction of people that we hate and like destroy those folks. Yeah, I mean, work out in the end. That's why we have culture wars. I mean, that's, you know, that's been the Republican playbook for a long, 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 long time, which is like, you know, our, our main party platform as Republicans is we don't want rich people to have to pay taxes. That's really our main thing. That's really all we care about. But there aren't enough rich people who don't want to pay their taxes to elect us. So we have to convince some group of poor people to vote in a way that's not in their interest. How can we convince them to do that? They're going to take your meat and your guns. Vote for us. Yeah, they're going to take your meat meat and your your guns. guns. Yeah. So they were just like, you know, what do we got? Let's let's get the you know, let's create. You remember Dan Quayle with his, you know, family values thing. You know what I mean? Like you have to take an issue that people have a visceral response to. I'm going to take meat or you have to, you know, choose something. You know, I mean, this is. I, I don't want to bring up abortion or, or Roe v. Wade, but that's the only reason we're still talking about that in this country is because you have to take a, a primal issue like that to divide people and convince them to vote in a manner that is against their own interest while they don't even really know it's not in their interest. Right. You know what I mean? Because they've been so disenfranchised. I mean, a lot of people were mad at me after the Trump election because I was like, yo, man, poor white people are fucked. Like, I felt really, really bad for poor white people Right after the Trump election. Ain't no jobs coming. Because I, I was like, you know what? And honestly, I'm, I'm not going to bring Clinton into this. But it's like, you know, poor white people, their life expectancy is going down. They're like the only group in the country that the life expectancy is going down. Like the jobs that they used to rely on, you know, when we talk about the Rust Belt or we talk about industrial work or any kind, like those jobs are gone. We only have a service economy. You know, and we have like a big, big white collar, kind of like middle class, upper middle class. And then we have billionaires. There's no room in there um, for a huge group of people who are poor and white and uneducated. And that is like a real, real problem. And I used to kind of I wasn't defending Trump voters. I was really more saying like, you know what? Democrats stop talking to those people like Democrats, which is like we don't really care about poor white people anymore. You know, and I think that was a real mistake for the Democratic Party. And I think that that's a big part of the reason Hillary didn't win. And it's a real social problem that we have in this country. It's like a group like we, we pay a lot of well, like, because we don't know how to talk about white poverty because that's not the face of poverty. So we don't yeah. even know how to recognize it or address it because that's yeah. there's no language for it. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's certain not, because the people, the, the language that we use, you know, that does come from, let's say, like, you know, a liberal arts college in Ohio or like a democratic platform is, you know, framing how we see poverty is very often through like a critical race lens. Right. Right. And that's very important because, you know, people of color are, you know, overwhelmingly disproportionately affected by poverty than white people, you know, but that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of really poor white people who are just 100% asked out because they don't even have like a movement. You know what I mean? The only movement they got. Most of them are on meth. 
Well, I think they've moved on to opioids. That's only my family. That's my family. I can yeah. say that. That's my family. <laughs> That's no, like my, like, my mom's side, like, they live in Hawaii, and they, they lived in, like, Reno, Nevada, Trailer Park, Reno, Nevada. My cousin never went past sixth grade, has four kids yeah. my age, yeah. lives with her 40-year-old So we sort of, like, know the data on that, but, like, we don't really, like, I feel like as a policy, that's not like front and center. Like I yeah. can find lots of data on like black poverty, black crime, mm-hmm. black, but like you don't see the same level of attention and yeah. responsiveness as a specific group. So yeah. we don't even like, we can't appeal to them because we don't see it. Cause we're so invested in, in whiteness as like uh mobile, like a social, a social mobility that doesn't really exist. So we can't even like address that. Yeah. That's true. I think that's a really huge divide. And I don't even know what angle to come at it. Like, am I thinking, hey, the Democratic Party needs to open up the tent and recognize that these are people who used to belong to unions, who were your voters when they were in unions and now they're not anymore Um, from a strategic standpoint or more of an empathetic standpoint. Like when and that's what I tried to do after the Trump election was talk to friends who were progressive people who did do whatever, you know, like um, racial justice work. And I was like, listen, man, if we're talking about lifting people up, you got to admit that there are a lot of white people who are just asked out and need, you know, very similar assistance. Um, and that's just not really part of the conversation that we don't, we're kind of at an impasse with that. I think as as progressive people, we just don't know how to incorporate or help. And it's not, it doesn't also doesn't help. That was why I didn't like the deplorables comment, you know, like when Hillary, it's like, I think everybody kind of had that response that she shouldn't have said that, but I feel like there were a lot of people who were like, Ooh, yeah, finally she called out all those crackers for being, you know what I mean? (laughs) They're deplorable. It's like, I guess, but that's horrible. Like we hate it when we use words, like whatever, just like uggs or any kind of labels that we put on people because they're poor because they're people of color. Like, and that really, she showed her colors in that time. She's like, I don't give it poor white people. Who cares? They've been voting Republican for a while against their interest. Oh, well, I'm not going to try and win them back. There's not enough poor white crackers in this country to elect Trump. They're like, well, yeah, there actually are enough poor white people in this country to elect Trump. And they did. And until you figure out how to help them because they need help, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, yeah. oh, you, oh, you vote. And you don't really need a lot of them. You just sort of need them in certain places because yeah. we have the electoral college. God damn it. Yeah. At least just, you know, help people get a job, man. You know what I mean? Like help people get a job and join a union so that they have enough stability that they can send their kid to college so that they can, you know what I'm saying? Start to figure out what their place in the world is and, you know, bec- make their decision whether they want to be a billionaire who's a Republican because they don't want to pay their taxes or they want to be a Democrat because they're like an educated person that's trying to, you know, elevate everybody. Those are your only two choices, America. <laughs> Um, I, I, I want to wind up, but before I do, um, I do want to hear a little bit about each of your plans for voting. Like, are you guys planning to mail your votes in? Are you going to go like, how much does COVID have to do with your decision? Are you going to mail it in the first day that it's possible? You know, not to put you on the spot, but I am curious because I'm, I'm trying to make that decision myself. What are you, Amelia, you, you called into the show with this question, so you should have your answer ready to go. I, I'm going to go. I go to work anyway now. So, I, I mean, I go into work every day. Um, Would you have gone anyway? Like, are you? Yeah. I'm like, how much of that has to do with I'm nervous about my vote not getting counted if I mail it. I'm nervous about getting sick if I go to a polling place. Like, how? what was the kind of like algebra on that 
I'm nervous that if I mail in my vote, it won't get counted. That's legit. That's legit. I mean, I'm praying for, you know, like the, the really unfortunate thing that the United States has done for the last 40 years or so is like nation building around the world. So, you know, I, I'm not really into nation building, <laughs> even though there are nice aspects of it, but it's just a really dirty game. I guess that's the cost of being a superpower. But part of nation building meant every few years we would like have some shit on TV where it's like, look, people in this country have never voted. And now they're having their first election and they're waiting in line for 10 hours to cast a vote. These people are waiting in lines that are six miles long to cast a vote. And it's like inspiring and whatever. It's also propaganda. So it's problematic. But part of me is hoping, you know what? I hope people are so enthusiastic about voting that we show up and it doesn't matter if the system is ready for us or not. And it just becomes a goddamn block party that snakes for miles and miles and I'll wait in line in that block party with a mask on or whatever in order to do it. Those, those are my thoughts. Travis, your thoughts. Yeah. I, right now my plan is to vote because I don't to go in and vote because I don't, I worry that if I mailed it in, it wouldn't be counted. Yeah. And that, I mean, are those concerns that you had before the president came out talking about the postal service? Because, you know, this actually happened in the last election in New York, when we had our primary election, there were a lot of mail-in votes that weren't counted because they were received after the deadline. Um, were you already worried about it or was this triggered by Trump's announcement? It was triggered by Trump's announcement. Yeah. Like most things. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, Oh, he's, I mean, he, you can't ignore it. <laughs> it's really like, no, I'm yeah. not trying to have this happen. Yeah, no, Actually, maybe that's a vote. blessing in disguise. Thank you for giving us a heads up that you're going to clearly fuck it up for us. That's true. So we now we know. Show up. Now we know we got to go in person. So you better <laughs> yeah. get ready. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm ready for that day. Nobody's going to work. <laughs> Even if you work from home, nobody's working from home. You better reserve all eight hours of your work day and then some. The go vote. Take a chair with you. Yeah. Who cares? Bring a chair, yeah. bring a book. You know what I mean? Well, a some beer. Yeah. I mean, all the all the Black Lives Matter protests that happened, the surge from COVID didn't come from that because people were wearing masks and people were being conscious. And, yeah. you know, I think we can do the same thing when it comes to voting. It's also interesting. I mean, I feel like the polling place I go to, you know, I live in Manhattan, on like Upper West Side. So it's like 99.9% of people are going to be voting for Joe Biden. Right. But for people who live in a place that's like a little swing state here, it's very interesting to me that you'll be able to tell who everybody's voting for when you go there based on whether they have a mask on or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> you don't yeah, have to. I do live it. in the opioid corridor of Brooklyn. So it's like a, it's the it's the red, the red land. And so yeah, I'm like, right. I'm not sure that I'm going to be super safe when yeah. I go out to vote on November, but I'm going. But like, think about how that could change exit polling. Like if a journalist just stood on the corner, it was like mask, no mask, 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 right. mask, no mask. You'd be like, you could probably predict the election based on how many people were wearing masks at your polling place. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'll leave it there. Thank both of you for looking ahead to November. I'm always, I always have tunnel vision. So I'm like, hey, let's talk about common over. You guys really kind of framed it in a way that I think was very helpful for me and for our listeners. Um, guys, vote. I honestly, I can say this honestly, I really don't care who you're voting for. Just please just go vote. You know what I mean? Just just go vote. Just go vote. That's all you got to do. Just you go vote. You care a little bit. I totally care. I'm like, who you're I do care. Though. I care. I, I definitely, <laughs> definitely care, who you're, care who you're voting for. It keep the lights on, America. Keep the lights on. Uh, Margin call <laughs> listeners. Everybody here cares who you vote for. 
And I also care. But I recognize that you can choose whoever you like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. <laughs> Either about to say against it. yourself or for yourself. Uh, just show up, man. You know what I'm saying? Just show up. That's really the most important thing. We will have another political episode before the election. I promise you. Um, we are actually planning a new initiative to try and do this once a month because I think it's an election year, even though there are some other things going on in the world. It is also an election year. Um, so we want to have regular check ins. Hopefully, uh, our guests, Travis and Amelia, can join us for those check in sessions, as you all heard. They are delightful, charming, insightful, and very smart people. These are the people you want to hear talking about the election. Um, and I want to thank both of you for being here and for providing important context. This is our crew. This is our talking heads, whatever, yeah. MSNBC, CNN. You know what I mean? Like, let's lock this crew in. I love this vibe. I think we have a good thing going. I think we agree about it. I like it. I think we disagree about enough things. and I Election Watch 2020. Uh, thanks to both of our guests. Special thanks, as always, to our fearless leader, our gifted, patient producer who keeps us sounding Sounds good. so cynical when you say that. <laughs> Eming Piancai. Thank you, Eming. Everybody loves Eming. Um, and thanks, as always, to our listeners. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.
happy for you. So happy for you. Sounds great. <laughs> yes.